0: Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here with us today as we continue our series, It's Complicated. Uh, we're talking about the relationships of our lives, and we're just acknowledging the fact that whatever kind of relationship you're in with your parents, with your kids, with a spouse, with a friend they are all complicated. Uh, This weekend, it feels like a lot of us have uh, marriage on the brain. Anybody here watch any of the royal wedding? Anybody? Few people, okay, yeah, some of us, yeah. I I confess, I didn't watch any of it, and then by midday yesterday, like, everybody I talked to was asking me what I thought about different parts of the royal wedding and everything on social media. I felt like I'd really missed an international phenomenon, but I guess, I mean, too late now. But anyways, uh, the royal wedding was yesterday. If you, like me, missed it, that was apparently a a big deal. And and it's got a lot of us thinking about marriage, you know. I don't know, when you, when you think about marriage, uh, I heard somebody say once, the most important thing to know about marriage is that marriage in our country is under attack. That's what they said. And, and, and I, I guess I, I knew what they meant, and I, they're probably even right, I suppose. But I found myself thinking that they were one letter off from something even more significant. Well, just one letter uh, I notice that I'm I don't get too broken about the fact that marriage is under attack. What I notice is that marriages individual marriages are under attack. I don't know if you notice this too. You talk to friends and, and, and the thing is we just celebrated the royal wedding and their marriage doesn't feel like it's under attack today. But all of us who have been married for any period of time know that eventually even their marriage will be under attack, right? Everybody's marriage is under attack. Everybody you know has a marriage that either was or will be or is hurting Talked to a lot of people whose marriages are collapsing or have collapsed. It's fascinating. You look at a thing like the royal wedding, and marriage seems like a party, it seems like a festival. It's just the most beautiful thing two people could ever do. But then you look at actual marriages, and marriages seem fragile, it seems difficult. They seem Threatened. And when that happens, and it does, when marriages, not marriage theoretically, but when individual marriages find themselves under attack, there is so much at stake. Uh, The lives of those people are at stake, and their children's lives are at stake. The witness of the church is at stake. I've observed that. There are lots of relationships that can come and go and ebb and flow and flourish and die, and it doesn't seem to matter much. I have friends that I was once great friends with and now never talked to. We didn't really, nothing happened, we just don't talk anymore. And you know, that doesn't seem to have affected anybody. It hasn't affected me, it hasn't affected them, it hasn't affected our friends and family, but marriage is completely different. When marriages come and go and ebb and flow and weaken and strengthen, it affects everybody, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting? Some relationships can flourish and die and nobody really notices, but when a marriage does, it's like an explosion with ripple effects of damage everywhere you go. I think this is because marriages are part of a distinct relationship type. Uh, They aren't the only example of this type, but they're a significant example of this type. Marriages are a relationship built on a promise for a purpose. Marriages are a relationship that is built on a promise For a purpose, we call this category of relationship a covenant—a relationship that's built on a promise. For a purpose is a covenant, and marriage is one of those. Uh, I often—I have here's a little bit when I preach a wedding, a little chunk that makes it into most of my wedding sermons sounds like this: Christian marriage does not happen by chance; it does not come into being by accident; it is a covenant. A relationship built on a promise for a purpose. You are about to make vows to one another and these vows made and kept will be the foundation of a relationship that is different from any other human relationship you've ever known. Friendships and lovers, coworkers and teammates, these are all relationships based off common goals and common interests. And when the common goals go away, and the common interests pass, the relationships will with it, and nobody minds. But marriages are different. Marriages are built on promises. And when those relationships go away, that means promises were broken, and damage is done. Now that's a little bit of a stuffy description. Uh, Maybe I can describe it this way. Covenant relationships. Have you ever seen one of those movies where in the first five minutes of the movie, and it doesn't really matter how, but somehow in the first five minutes of the movie, two people who can't stand each other get stuck together. Right? Maybe they get handcuffed together in some silly way or they get trapped on an island or stuck in an elevator. It doesn't matter, but the premise of the movie is or they, or they get assigned to the same project or the same team or the same work thing. The premise of the movie is just, ha-ha, isn't it funny? Two people who hate each other are stuck together, and at first they fight with each other, but then they realize fighting won't help because they're stuck together, and eventually they start working things out. Have you you seen these movies, this this little gimmick? Marriage is like that. Two people who sometimes hate each other are stuck together. And when they realize they're stuck together, eventually they decide they better work things out out. These relationships, relationships built on a promise for a purpose, these are covenant relationships. Now, to be clear, uh, marriage isn't the only one. Uh, God uses all kinds of covenant relationships. Uh, You can be in a covenant friendship. David and Jonathan did that, 1 Samuel 20, 42. uh, David says, go in peace. For we have promised, sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. You can have a covenant friendship. Um, you can have a, a, a parenting relationship that's built on a covenant. Ruth, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, makes this promise. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Uh, We have examples uh, in in Scripture, but also throughout history. Uh, Sometimes soldiers or a military unit will will make a covenant together of how they're going to behave. Israel, the the people of God in the Old Testament, are called to be a covenant people, both a covenant they've made with one another and a covenant they've made with God. In fact, the church, uh, the very church that we're a part of, we are a covenant people. We are not connected by blood. We are not connected by common interest. We are not connected by common habit. We are connected by a promise to one another and to Christ and for a purpose to advance the gospel. So though marriage is a special case of this thing, it isn't the only case. And in fact, God wants for all of us, all of us, to be in covenant relationships. Relationships built on a promise for a purpose. In fact, I'm convinced that from God's perspective, the only relationships with promise are relationships built upon promises. Every other kind of relationship is just too unreliable. It's just too fragile. There are so many threats and and opportunities for our relationships to shatter that unless our relationships are shored up by the covenant of promises made and kept, I'm just not sure our relationships are going to make it. This is why in the church we, we attend and we participate, and that's great. And then at some point, a lot of us say, hey, I'm, a mem- I'm in now. I'm, I'm here. We call it membership. but It just means if a person says, I'm in, I'm here, you can count on me, I'll be here, I'm going to give, I'm going to participate, I'm going to serve, I'm all in. And we depend on that, don't we? People saying, I'm in, I'll be here next week. I'm not just showing up. Relationship is, I mean, marriage is like that. I would just say those of you that maybe maybe you're living together and you've been together for years and 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 you're like we're pretty happy and this is great i would just say as an aside um, don't be fooled in thinking that your mutual affection for one another and your common interest in your relationship will be enough to make it last your whole life eventually you'll wish you'd made promises that you could count on someone to keep. And this, I think, is why marriage is under attack. It's not that marriage in particular is under attack, it's that godly covenants are under attack. There's a trend in our culture away from promise-making and promise-keeping, There's a trend in our culture away from saying, I'll be with you through thick and thin, you can count on me, and towards saying, I'll be with you as long as it works for me, as long as it feels good, as long as it makes sense, and if it ever gets uncomfortable, ever gets hard, I'm out. And this is why I think the church has a special opportunity to to speak something beautiful to the world about the power of promise-making, and promise keeping. We do this within the church when we push through hard times and demonstrate our love for one another. We do this in our marriages. Uh, You know, perfect marriages bear no witness to the church. There's nothing particularly exciting about that because they don't exist and they're fake and there's nothing helpful there. But marriages that have had struggles and have persevered on the strength of their promises through the keeping of their vows to get past struggle toward renewed flourishing, now that is a testimony. And when I say, just to be clear, when I say marriages that have had struggles, just to be clear, that's all marriages, right? In fact, it's it's all covenant relationships. Eventually, if you seek to be in a covenant relationship, whether it's within the church or in friendship or in your family or in a marriage threats to the covenant will arise maybe there'll be little threats you'll disagree about how to spend money or or the balance between work life and home life or you'll have trouble communicating in a marriage sexual struggles are a common threat to the covenants we make parenting struggles baggage we bring in from our families can threaten our marriage But it's not always the little things that add up over time. Sometimes it's a great big thing. An illness strikes. Or there's a crisis with your children. Or somebody loses a job. Or what's even worse, you know, even worse, even harder on a marriage than somebody losing a job is somebody winning a lottery. Isn't that fascinating? Winning a lottery is a better predictor of divorce than losing a job. Isn't that interesting? And we can't pretend... We're immune from these threats. We can't pretend that the covenants we make and the promise we make are somehow unthreatened by the little nagging threat of communication problems or the fact that they never wash the dishes. And we can't pretend that the covenants we make are unthreatened by grave illness, losing a job, winning the lottery. So what I wanna do today is I just wanna Go to scripture a little bit and and ask this question, how would God have us fight to protect the covenant relationships of our life? How would God have us fight to protect the covenant relationships of our life? If you're married, I would urge you to apply this to your marriage. And most of my illustrations will be marriage illustrations. How would God have you fight to protect your marriage? If you're not married, my guess is you may be in other covenant relationships, though, a friendship that maybe you've made, made a promise to stand with each other through time, tough times. Or here in the church, you've made a commitment to a small group or a commitment to this church to be a part of the body of Christ together. Whatever the covenant relationship you are in or might be entering, the, the, the reality is eventually that covenant relationship will be threatened. If you're married, you need to know this. Your marriage is either already under attack or it will be. And the question is not how are you going to defend marriage in general, but how are you going to defend your marriage? Before I jump into these strategies, I just want to take two asides, Okay. Side number one, protecting a covenant relationship always takes two people, okay? It always takes both parties of the covenant. Romans uh, 12, 18 says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That little phrase, as far as it depends on you, is so key I I say this because I know some of you are in here. I'm going to talk about some stuff, and it's going to break your heart because you're going to want to say, you don't understand, Ethan. I tried to fight for my covenant. I tried to keep the covenant, and they abandoned me. And I get that, and that's what Romans 12 says. All you can do is your half of the covenant keeping, okay? I get that up front. I got to talk about how to keep a covenant, but I'm not saying that's your story, okay? If you did all you could, you did all you could. We all know that. The second thing I just wanna say about this, about marriage, whenever you preach about saving a marriage, I just gotta you, gotta, you have to make this disclaimer. If you're in a marriage right now where you are being hurt, you get out and you get help, okay? Don't you think the takeaway of this message is that you go home and get hit one more time, okay? I'm gonna talk about how to fight for marriages, but if you're, if you're being hurt in your marriage, you get out and you get help. Who knows, by God's grace, God may save that marriage someday, I don't know, but it won't be saved by you just going home to get hit one more time. Okay, I just want to be clear on that. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, let's get back to what we're saying. How do you fight to save, to protect a covenant relationship? All right, number one, you fight as a team. You fight as a team. The first thing you've got to remember if you are in a covenant relationship is that you cannot save that relationship on your own. You cannot save your marriage by yourself. Here's what God says about unity in marriage. Genesis two twenty two. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. I've mentioned before that, um, that I was a, a swimmer. Uh, in, uh, in college. Again, as I, whenever I mention that, I always have to say as full disclaimer, I was a terrible swimmer, right? All I mean is they let me on the team. Don't, don't be impressed. But anyways, I was a swimmer in college. Swimming is one of these sports where if you're really good, it doesn't matter how bad the rest of the team does, you go home with a medal, right? Like if you're faster than everybody else at your event, your whole team can do terribly you still win. You can go on to the state champion and then the nationals. Some team sports are like that, where even if the team loses, the individual can win. Some team sports aren't though, right? If you play football, you play basketball, you can have a great night. You can score tons of points, you can get dozens of tackles, but either the team wins or the team loses, and there is no way for you to have a great night and everybody else to have a bad night, and the team still wins. Now, I know LeBron James is busy trying to disprove this theory, he's trying to win basketball games all by himself, but, it, but it's not working out. He can go a long way, scoring basically every point that team scores, but pretty soon, it stops working marriage is like that marriage is a team sport you are one flesh you either win together or you don't win at all in marriage and in all covenant relationships the choices we make are either good for both of us or they're good for nobody does that make sense it's so tempting to think, oh, this decision is good for me, but not for them. But not if you're one flesh. If you're one flesh, your decisions are either good for both of us or good for nobody. The, most, the first step in fighting to defend your marriage or any covenant relationship is to fight as a team to recognize that the team wins or the team loses together here's the second thing fight for the team fight for the team Philippians 2, 1-4 through 4 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing into the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul here is teaching the Philippian church how to live inside a covenant. And he says inside of a covenant, you fight not for yourself, but you fight for the team. And in particular, he says, you fight for the other members of the team. I'll just tell you, I don't do a ton of marriage counseling, but I've done my fair share. And um, it's, it's always easy to f- identify couples that you know are going to be fine. The ones that are, you're not sure about, that's always hard. But the ones that are obvious, and here's the thing, I'll just tell you. When a couple is sitting in my office and they're in trouble... But he cares mostly about helping her problems, and she cares mostly about helping his problems, they're going to be fine. They hardly even need me. I mean, really, I could leave the room and just say, talk for an hour. They'll be fine. If he is mostly caring for her problems, and she is mostly trying to care about his problems, they're going to be fine. That's what Paul teaches right here. In humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. You must fight for the team. Fight for the strength and health and goodness of your teammate. Or the team doesn't have a chance. Third thing, if we're going to fight to defend our covenant relationships, and especially our marriages. We need to fight like a team. Fight like a team. One of the best things about being on a good team, and here I will go back to a swim team, is I don't have to swim the events I'm no good at. I just swim the events I'm good at. And somebody else swims the events they're good at. That's the beauty of being on a team, is our strengths and weaknesses can support one another. Galatians 6, 1-5 through 5 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out, or you may also be tempted. I love this next line. Listen to this line. Carry each other's burden. We may spend a whole week on that sometime. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there's a risk. The risk is that this makes us cocky. So he says, if any of you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourselves, test your own actions, then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to somebody, for each of you should carry your own load I love love the beauty of this text. What he's saying is that when I'm weak and I stumble and and there's a weight you can take off my shoulders, you you, you do that. And don't you find, have you ever done that? Isn't it amazing how the very thing that weighs somebody else down is easy for you to carry? And the very thing that weighs you down is easy for them to carry? Now, there's a warning in here that could make us proud. Oh, look at me, how I'm helping you out. So he says, don't do that. You got your own junk. You got your own issues. Don't get arrogant. But if we can avoid the arrogance and avoid the comparison, what we're left with is a relationship where each of us is carrying the load of the other. That's how you fight like a team. That's exactly how a team works, right? When I injure myself, I go sit on the bench and get better while somebody else steps in and takes that leg for me, right? To do this, of course, it means that within the covenant, I have to admit my weaknesses. You see that? For somebody else to be able to carry them, for somebody else to be able to help me out where I am weak, I've got to be honest about where I'm weak. And there's a risk there, I know. It's what makes covenant relationships so special and so vulnerable. But when, when it works, it also what, is what makes it so great. I'll just tell you, my favorite thing about my marriage, and my marriage is not perfect and we're working at it and God's working on us, but my favorite thing about my marriage is that my wife already knows everything wrong with me. And she hasn't left. You know what kind of confidence that gives a person? I mean, really. I mean, maybe I'm going to do something dumber in the future than I've already done, but it'd be hard. I have done so many dumb stuff, so much dumb stuff, and she has had my back so many times. And the same thing goes the other way, too. Fight like a team. Have their back. Help them when they're down. Look for their weakness, not so you can exploit it, but so that you can protect it. Last strategic thing. We're gonna fight as a team, remembering that we are one. So we either succeed together or fail together. We're gonna fight for the team. I'm gonna put my best energy to helping her, she's gonna put her best energy to helping me. We're gonna fight like a team with our various strengths and weaknesses. Last thing, fight the enemy, not your teammate. We've been talking about all this fighting, see, and we get confused sometimes in marriage, and we start fighting each other. We get confused in marriage, and we start fighting each other. That's crazy. Crazy. Marriage is a battlefield. It is. It's just not a battlefield between a husband and a wife. It's a battlefield between a couple and the enemy who seeks to destroy their marriage. You know, soldiers sometimes fight each other when they're in the barracks with nothing to do. When they get bored, they'll fight each other. But they don't fight each other on the battlefield. Because on the battlefield, there's an enemy that they are united against. There'll be time for fighting each other later. And I would just say, if you are in a marriage right now, and you are taking to fighting each other, then you are not being observant enough. Because you are in a battle, it's just not with each other. 1 Peter 5 says this way, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers is suffering as well. I would just say probably the most significant part Of how you can work to preserve the covenant relationships in your life is to recognize that the devil hates promises kept the devil loves a broken promise the devil delights in a broken promise the devil rejoices over a broken promise see here's the thing if I have a fight against my spouse or if you're in a covenant relationship within the church if i have a fight against my spouse and i win the fight our marriage still loses if i have a fight against my spouse and she wins the fight our marriage still loses because we are busy fighting each other instead of united in fighting the enemy that seeks to destroy our marriage. So I just say at the raw practical level, whatever it is you're fighting about. Maybe, it's with, maybe it is with a friend that, that you thought you were going to stand next to each other for the next 40 years and now there's a fight ready to drive you apart. Or maybe it's with your, your spouse. You, you plan to be married till death do his part and now you're worried this fight is going to drive you apart. Or maybe it's inside the church. Whatever you're fighting about, what you need to do is instead of having that fight be between me and her, that fight needs to be between us and our enemy that seeks to destroy us. At the practical level, what does this sound like? You don't say, you never talk to me. You say, we need to figure out how to talk. Satan is trying to rip our communication apart. Can we work together to figure out how to talk again? And you just do that. Whatever fight you've got, you reframe it, not as a fight between the two of you, but as a fight between y'all and the enemy. Here's the thing. Any marriage, any covenant relationship where two people will fight for the relationship against the enemy that delights in broken promises, that marriage will survive. If they'll fight for it and against their enemy, it will survive. Any marriage, any covenant relationship, without two people so committed, it will not survive. Some of you are in a marriage now that needs two people to fight for it. I know you can only be one of those two people. I get that. But you can be one. We're halfway there. I want to go back to what I already said. If you're in a marriage now or if you've been in a marriage in the past where you were ready to fight for the marriage and they weren't and you were abandoned by them, maybe you were abandoned physically or abandoned sexually or abandoned relationally. Paul's pretty clear in First Corinthians 7. If you're trying to do your best and they abandon your marriage, that's not, not something you can control. If you're being abused, you get out. If you're abandoned by your partner, you get help. Make an appointment here at the church. Talk to Lisa Blankenship, our Christian counselor here on staff, she's amazing, meet with her. But for the rest of us, don't give up on the promise. Because I'm convinced that the only relationships with promise are relationships that are built upon promise. Promise Promises made, promises kept. And those are relationships worth fighting for. Let's pray. Gracious God, I'm so grateful for all the examples you've given me in my life of friendships and couples that have fought not with each other but for each other fought not against each other, but fought for the team, and as a team, have fought the enemy that sought to destroy their relationship instead of fighting each other and doing Satan's work for him. And I just pray, God, my guess is in this room, there are marriages that need that reminder today. They need to go home and apologize for fighting against each other, and go home and seek forgiveness for fighting for themselves and not for the team. I just pray that you would let that happen today, God, that you would call us all back to fight our enemy, Satan, that seeks to destroy us and to fight as a team and like a team and for the team so that you can be glorified and the world would see promises made and promises kept by God's people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.